0: Hello, this is Saul Luckman. It's my pleasure to welcome you to Conversations on Saul Luckman Uncensored, sponsored by snooze2awaken.com, resources for lucidity. For more information about my work, including a lot of cutting-edge free content, check out prorising.com. I'm also on Telegram, where I'm sharing daily truth bombs at t.me slash Saul Luckman. I expect today's interview to be fascinating. Mike Donio is one of the few highly credentialed researchers in the pharma medical mafia complex to escape the grips of scientism and start a new life, exposing its utter lack of scientific rigor and methodology. I don't want to spoil his story by giving too much away right now, but suffice it to say that Mike is a serious former biotech scientist with advanced degrees in biochemistry and molecular biology from renowned universities, including a Johns Hopkins concentration in biotechnology enterprise. One of Mike's goals in going public with his experiences, a goal you can support by following his Telegram channel at t.me slash scientists for health freedom, is to help more scientists speak out uh, and to help people become their own scientific experts. So thanks so much for joining me today, Mike. How are you? Hi, Saul.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm, I'm truly grateful for any and every opportunity to speak out.
0: Well, obviously, you're, you're kind of making the rounds. I, I, I heard your show over on AlphaVedic, as I mentioned, uh, before we came on live here. And um, that, was really, uh, that was really eye-opening. I mean, you know, Dr. Bear and, and Mike do a great job. So you guys went into some, some really cool territory.
1: Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was that was a great discussion.
0: So uh, you know, people, if you want to go over to alphavedic or look them up on YouTube or BitShoot or wherever, that's a good interview. And here we might cover some of the same material, but I have some other other ideas and questions as well. And I thought we could just jump right into to your path and how you got to where you are today, uh, in terms of your exit from from the biotech industry. You know how that transpired, at least in general terms, and uh, you know what the, what was the precipitating factor, and uh, you know how how what your thought press process was in making that change.
1: Yeah, so I think the the long and short of it is that um, I was in. I've been a scientist for twenty years. The majority of that has been in the pharmaceutical and biotech industry. And that 20 years science, scientist scientific career came to an abrupt end last October, uh, when the biotech company that I was working for, uh, required that everybody take the, um, the COVID jab. Um, and I did not wish to comply and they terminated me and, um, really, I have always been, throughout my entire career, somewhat of a skeptic. Uh, always been someone that's asked a lot of questions. So, when COVID came along, I did my research and was very, very skeptical of the science. And also, uh, you know, knew a lot about the the technology going into these new vaccines and things. And uh, had a, had just a tremendous amount of questions and um that combined with um my my strong beliefs my strong christian beliefs i just couldn't uh i i couldn't go along with it and so um i i just said no and um you know it's been incredibly Uh, an incredibly liberating experience uh, since then. Um, Challenging, yes, but I've connected with a lot of uh, incredible people along the way and have been fortunate to have a lot of great opportunities like this to speak out. Um, And so, you know, the way I look at it is there's no amount of of money or or any perk that I might have been getting in that industry that, could could have accounted for kind of number one just the craziness of forcing something like that on someone, but but also just the, the kind of soul crushing nature of the industry in general due to the current state of science. Um, so I'm I'm in a position now where I I really have no regrets. I mean it, it's uh, it's kind of a whole new world and. Um, it was it was maybe not an easy decision but when i looked at all of the the data and really went through everything it 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 was pretty clear to me what what i needed to do and um you know i think it's one of those things where nobody wants to wake up in the morning and have to deal with this what we've had to deal with the last 2 years but i think it's how you respond to that when you when that challenge is foisted upon you that really kind of defines us and um you know i'm i'm happy to be kind of part of this this movement and this fight now and um just trying to do the best that i can to um to to speak out and shed some more light on the current state of science
0: you know there was a time years ago when i was i was uh in in graduate school and i was going down an academic path and i got really sick and i got sick from from getting jabbed uh, for travel uh for travel purposes uh and uh within you know about six months of that of, of getting the those jabs i i developed uh what i would call a kind of autoimmune type of illness kind of a you know lots of allergies and fatigue and you know all of the kind of classic fibromyalgia types of symptoms and all that all that that kind of thing and uh i was i was trying to hold down a job and i was i was teaching and eventually it just got to where i i got too sick and I i was i had to give that up and it was very hard to you know i was i had done i was i was in graduate school and then i was working um as a a teacher and you know all of that was about to come to an end and it was a very difficult it was a very difficult vista in some ways because i didn't know what my life was going to be like it was actually kind of terrifying in, in many ways and then i went through it and then Everything started to change for me. So many opportunities just showed up. I, I entered this whole world of of energy healing and and other types of related uh, activities and pursuits that had been really outside my frame of reference that completely changed my health, changed my life, changed my outlook, changed my friends, changed everything. I mean, it was really extraordinary. Can you relate to what I'm saying at all?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the pharmaceutical bio and biotech in particular industries are incredibly stressful, fast paced, you know, not to mention, um, the really horrific science that's being done there, but outside of that, I mean, it's very, very fast paced. Um, and, I, you know, it's not that there's nobody that's there that I, that questioned things or that, that kind of saw things similar to how I did, but, clearly I was not in the majority. So being able to connect with people that are more like-minded, not, not that I'm looking for an echo chamber or anything like that, but being able to connect with people that are more like-minded and being freed from, from the, the stress and being able to not have to be in a position where you have to accept shoddy, shoddy work. And, uh, you know, it is, freeing. And, and I get to, I've really not just been able to connect with people, but I actually to, to research things and to ask questions that were, that have been on my mind and I haven't, haven't been able to really put enough time into. So yeah, I mean, it's been a really f- quite um, surprisingly freeing experience. Um, despite, like you said, going into it, you know, uh, it was certainly apprehensive i mean i I have a a young family and so there's a lot um, that weighed on the decision but i mean it's it's been a
0: pretty um, incredible journey well that's awesome have you have you been um obviously you've you've encountered some some uh, individuals with some background in science who are now outside of that world kind of looking in with you are, are you are you encouraged by what you're seeing outside of that bubble in terms of the minds who are beginning to look at some of the problems with science the problems with virology for example are, are, are you encouraged by what you're you're seeing? Yeah
1: absolutely so in the um, in the scientists for health freedom group that is, as you mentioned, it's on, started on telegram and now kind of expanded onto some other platforms and places as well. We have a great group community, uh, if you will, of, of, of people of not, I was going to just say scientists, but really it's more than just scientists. There's people researchers all that, right?
0: Too, right? researchers,
1: right? Right. Right. I mean, this is scientists, doctors, even people without, you know, I'm a firm believer in that you, you don't need to have a you know, it doesn't matter what kind of letters are after your name or what degrees you have or whatever, to be able to to learn and research and, and, you know, try to sort this stuff out. This is knowledge that's free and open to all of us. And we shouldn't uh, so cavalierly toss it away to, to experts. And I know a lot of people will say, well, I don't even want to talk to you if you don't have this degree or this credential, or certainly in, in the science industries, I mean, degrees and where you went to school and everything was really um a, a big deal but at the end of the day it's it, it doesn't matter and so there's a lot of great people in in this group that have
0: come together and i mean I know people like dawn dawn lester i interviewed her not too long ago she's a friend of mine and and the book that she wrote with david what really makes you ill is really a, a landmark monument uh of a of a, of a of a, an expose and an exploration of real science.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She's, I've, I've, I've connected with her and I, I had a discussion with her. Um, she, she's wonderful. I mean, she, I, I think she's a great example of how anybody can, can research and, and learn about this stuff and what they've put
0: together in their book is incredible. I'm glad you think so. And there's obviously um, I'm thinking about some of the other, um, the other materials that are coming forward, obviously we have, we have, uh, you know, a, a certain lineage of, of material back there, like virus mania that came out a number of years ago. I'm going to be interviewing Dr. Sam Bailey, uh, maybe next week or the following week. I can't remember when that is. I'm really looking forward to that. You know, she's another just really a giant in this field. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the terrain movie that Dr. Andrew Kaufman put out. Have you, have you checked that one out? Yes, I did. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. And then there's the Viral Delusion that's making the rounds now, which is this new doc. It's a six part documentary. That's really, I'll put links to all of this stuff in our show notes for people, but it, it's really ex- an, ex- an extraordinary, beautiful and meaningful film that, that these guys have put together. It's, if you, have you had a chance to look at that yet? Yeah, I, I started watching it the other day and it's,
1: it's very well it together, I need it's you know, so it's a multi part series. So, um, I haven't gotten the chance to watch ev- all of the different um parts of it, but yeah, it's it's very well done.
0: Yeah, I'm just really thankful that we have minds and and uh, an artistic. Talents coming forward, not just from the science perspective. We, we, we need that, of course, but we also need people with good communication skills and with, with a sense of, of, uh, of artistry and how we put this message out there. We don't have to agree on everything, but I think that most people in this movement agree that the way that science is being done is very, very problematic. And when you can articulate those things and articulate them eloquently and beautifully as in as in you know the viral delusion for example then you're raising the bar and you can actually begin to kind of i'm going to use the word compete even though that's not entirely what i mean but you can you can produce content that people coming normies coming from the mainstream won't look at and say oh that's just uh you know that's basically something out of the internet ghetto You know, which a lot of us have felt like we've been in for a long time. We're out here with these little content creators just creating this best we can, but we don't have, you know, the the funds of the big publishing houses or whatever behind us to make it look all slip glossy. Right. No, yeah, it's that's that's a great thing to have.
1: I mean, not that I I think in a lot of cases, the the lack of scientific rigor in some of this stuff kind of speaks for itself, but it's always nice when you can present it in a way that will make it approachable to a large audience.
0: You know, you say it it, it speaks for itself, and yet there are so many people out there regurgitating the party line. I mean, I think about this recent article on the smoking gun that uh, Dr. Joseph McCullough put out, and and it really just nauseates me. I'm just nauseated by a lot of this content and a lot of, frankly, a lot of these people at this point in time. Could you, before we go there, however, could you, could you define the scientific method? You know, what is the scientific method? Someone listening to this who may not even know or just needs a refresher on what the scientific method is actually supposed to be? Because I think this is important to understand what's going on uh, in today's science. Yeah,
1: so the scientific method is essentially a, a tool that a scientist is supposed to use to be able to um, to try to solve a, a particular problem. And, you know, it, it always starts with um, some sort of an, an informed, um, I guess, some information gathering, right, um, that goes into it that allows you to formulate a hypothesis, which really is um, essentially an educated guess. I mean, hypothesis um, derives from, I forget if it's Greek or Latin, but it, it basically means a foundation. So it provides a foundation for the scientific method to proceed out from that hypothesis. So you have to have a really well-formulated hypothesis that should come on the back of, of, of a bit of research. Some people refer to it as an, as an educated guess, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, then from there, you would design an experiment or maybe a series of experiments that are very much in line with um, being able to um, answer that uh, that hypothesis such that you can say definitively one way or another, whether it's it's valid or not. Um, and those experiments need to clearly have the proper controls. You need to clearly state the assumptions that you're making going into those experiments. There's a, there's a lot of assumptions that are in science. Um, and a lot of people don't clearly state those assumptions or include all of the relevant controls. When you, when you get to the point, so as you proceed and you conduct the experiment and you get your data and you do, and you do your data analysis and you're trying to draw conclusions you need, and, and then state whether your hypothesis has been proven or not, you need to be able to have designed that experiment so that you can actually make those claims and those claims can be backed up by the data you've generated. Um, and you know, there's, a, there's a lot of problems in there that with the way that current that science is currently done that unfortunately scientists, you know, I don't even know how, how well they're taught the scientific method, or, uh, it's also the application of the scientific method that can, that can go away. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're supposed to be able to say, did, did I validate this hypothesis? Was it true or not? And if it's not, you go back and you tweak the hypothesis and you design some new experiments and you go through it again, right? That's the re in research. It's supposed to be an iterative process. In reality, the bar should be quite high. Um, It shouldn't be something where you just run through one experiment and you say, okay, we're
0: done, right? I I think a lot of (laughs) these biology experiments, you know, that they had one sample. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that was actually the way that SARS-CoV-2 was found. It was one sample. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There was a, there was one of the first papers that came out of, of China from, um, I think it was Wu, um, the Wu paper. He, well, the group, I, I forget where they were from, but, uh, came out of Wuhan. Um, they basically took lung fluid from one patient, right? They didn't even try to uh, isolate any particles or anything. They just took lung fluid, isolated RNA, and then sequenced it, which is a whole, I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing what, when you understand what they did and how they could have literally pretty much created whatever they wanted to from that, and then just ran it in uh, against a database uh, and looking for, um, sequences of infectious pathogens. Um, and up comes a, rat coronavirus <laughs> and then they're like okay <laughs> so here we have a novel you know human coronavirus right. except you didn't even isolate you don't have you don't you have a sequence that you caught co- you know that you cobbled together
0: i mean right it, 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 nothing ever traces back to something that is manifestly provably real that's right. it, it, all of this circular proof going on is just really a, a big a house of cards so so let me uh, there's there's so much here so if, if I could just paraphrase what you said about the scientific method, and, and please correct me if I'm off somewhere. You, it's important to start with some actual intention and research in phenomena mm-hmm. in terms of looking at what makes them happen, causality, etc., right? You're trying yeah. to figure out a the nature of a process, why something is happening, how it's happening, why it could get philosophical, but certainly how it's happening. Um, and then you, you design an experiment to test it and, and you're actually testing it, meaning in the true, in the kind of pure scientific method, you, you're almost neutral or that's the ideal is to be neutral. And you're testing it very rigorously with more than one sample, for example, <laughs> to see what happens, and then you base your further research on the outcome of that experiment. mean yeah. might trash the entire idea if it's, it just doesn't, doesn't pan out at all, or there might be some mixed results that would lead you to tweak the experiment or design another experiment to try to understand or validate other parts of that experiment. So what we have going on today is much something like what you described, where these people are out there genetically sequencing viruses in a way that is, is um, deeply problematic. And I'd I love for you to talk about that a little bit and explain what's going on. I mean, you know, we've, we have I've heard, you know, Andrew Kaufman talk about it many times. Dr. Cowan, Tom Cowan, whom I interviewed uh, not too long ago, you know, he, he talks about this on a regular basis, it would be very interesting to hear your take. But I also would love to hear your take on this notion that you brought up in your uh, description of the scientific method, that you actually need to be aware of what your assumptions are. Because it seems to me that there are some key assumptions in particularly in biotech in the field of virology that are unproven. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to turn it back over to you with that as a as a little uh a little lead in. Yeah, I mean
1: I from my perspective most of science that we know today comes down to assumptions. Um there's so much that is assumed without being properly validated. Um And this is pretty well highlighted um, when you look at. So, one of the first people to kind of call this into question was um, a guy by the name of John Ioannidis, who was an epidemiologist at at Stanford Med School. And he put out an essay um, in 2003 or 2004 that said, Why, it was like, why all published research is false or something like that. Um, And he really, his whole point was that it's highly probable and you can, you know, I don't know if he looked at certain um, algorithms or things, you know, ways to analyze um, the the probability of a particular research finding being um, true or false. And found that it was highly probable that the majority of claims based on peer-reviewed published data were actually not true um, and went through reasons for that. So, you know, bias is a big thing. There's the fact that a lot of um, data comes down to, a lot of findings, claims come down to statistical significance, which is all well and good, but when you have a very small change in activity and all you can say is, oh, look, it's statistically significant, Many people run with that and say, okay, yeah, we have this new thing, but they're never really considering what's the biological or functional significance of that. Is is it even meaningful in any way? They just look at the statistics and then run with it. And then he looks at other things like, for example, the the sample size, the smaller the sample size he found, the greater the chance that a particular finding is false or is not true. Uh, Also, the smaller the change, the smaller the change in activity. Say from a control to a test condition, the greater the chance that the finding is is not true. And it, there was a whole bunch of other things. And so then there were other groups that went and um, two two pharma biotech com, biopharma companies. So in biopharma research, when you're when you're looking to find new targets, you go and you dig into the published literature, and you try to get ideas. And the first thing you do is you try to replicate those papers. And so what they were finding was they were having a tremendous amount of trouble replicating published papers. So one company, Bayer Healthcare, decided to poll their scientists and say, you know, how many papers are you actually able to um, to, to validate, to replicate? And and it wound up being something like only twenty percent they were able to validate. And then Amgen, a large biotech uh, large biotech company, did a more formal study where they took, I think it was 53, what they called landmark papers in high-impact journals. These are journals like Science and Nature, because they assumed there'd be a greater chance that those would be reproducible. And they went and, re- and tried to repeat all of these, these papers. Well, they only could repeat to some degree six out of those uh, 53 papers. So
0: that's almost Good. 90% that weren't reproducible. I wanna just completely back up everything you're saying. Um, Brendan Murphy, uh, we should invite him over to to your Telegram group, he's great. Uh, he was on he w- he was was on this uh, show, uh, you know, sometime back, ver- very interesting interview, slightly different subject matter on that particular one. But he has an article that I republished on my blog and I'll link to it. And it's called why scientific peer review is a sham, especially in medicine. And this is just beautiful. I'm just going to read just a little uh, tiny section here that just is, is all over this. It's the problem of experts, quote unquote. The reality is that scientists are prone, just like lay people, to, be, to being connected to their pet theories and opinions, especially if they have been visibly rewarded or have they, publici- they publicly obtained accolades or financial remuneration as a result. Scientists, like lay people, have susceptible emotional bodies and often fairly hefty egos, particularly due to their expertise and academic titles, qualifications, theories, etc. Once those hefty egos belonging to people generally known as experts rise to positions of power and or influence, they can calcify the flow of scientific progress, as well as the understanding of new discoveries or theories particularly if they end up acting as peer reviewers at high levels in prestigious publications. In that capacity, too many become mere gatekeepers and seek not to facilitate innovation or vital new Copernican-scale revelations, but to maintain the status quo which got them there in the first place. Dr. Malcolm Kendrick comments in his excellent book, Doctoring Data, that, quote, by definition, anyone who is an expert in an area of medicine will be a supporter of whatever dogma holds sway. So... Mm-hmm. There you have it. It's very much like that in in you know in in the biological medical sciences, and I, I imagine it's very similar, even at the kind of biotech end of that spectrum. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's really. I mean, it's a it's a weakness that we have. Uh, I think that our kind of our our system of capitalism lends itself to this kind of abuse or things going off the rails in this way. Some of it's just by, just by the nature of the system. I think there's also some really bad actors and some bad agendas going on here. Maybe we could touch on that at some point, but, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of chaos at all levels that, you know, is just really making the truth very hard for people to get to. And I just can't, I can't understand how so many people, whether they're, uh, doctors or researchers or journalists. And many of these people are alternative in their viewpoints to a, to a certain degree. They're anti-vax, they're this, they're that. But they cannot understand that virology itself appears to be based on a set of false assumptions or false, false studies, really. I mean, even going back to Enders and some of the early virology studies, there are problems galore would you agree with that?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, if, uh, and you have to just look no further than what exactly they did to try to prove that they had a a virus. I mean, some of it is just absolutely baffling, especially some of the stuff that Enders did, um, the way and
0: say more about that because it's such a fat, I mean, I could hear it from different perspectives many times because there's always some little nugget you get out of there because it's so wacky. It's just almost the truth really is stranger than fiction when you get into this stuff. Right. I mean, just how they tried to culture
1: the, the virus and then the way in which they would, um, expose the animals, but that's kind of saying it gently. I mean, some of this stuff with the, with the polio experiments where they would go and inject the, this junk that, that they've cultured into the brains of monkeys and, and things like that. I mean, Last I checked that that's not how you how these things are supposed to be transmitted in a normal situation. So how is that relevant in any way? And and then you're supposed to compare that back. I mean, so much of, of science going back to Enders, even through now, is very artificial and contrived. I there's n- very little thought into how is this supposed to make sense in the context of an intact living human being. We do this stuff. I mean, you're culturing stuff in, in a soup of various, you know, serums and antibiotics and things in a dish with cultured cells, which in many cases are these, um, immortalized tumor cell lines. And then you take that, all of that junk and then you put it, in something else, or you inject it into an animal in some way, and then you say, oh look, it's, you know, it killed the animal, or it's killing the cells or something, and there, therefore we have, a, we have a virus, or we have, you know, an infectious agent. I mean, it, it's just baffling.
0: So you have all these people out there, uh, you know, that uh, some of these people that I've been mentioning who just can't seem to get it. Mm-hmm. Insist that, well, the virus has been isolated. What, what do you say to those people? I, I say
1: that, you know, I think there's so much that comes down to terminology. And I think that word isolation, I think it turns out it means different things to different people. So if you look at the, say, kind of the pure, purest version of what isolation means, would mean which would be like separating something from everything else right then i don't see how they could make an argument that that's been done and in fact many will even state that you can se- that you can't do that kind of separation because there's not enough virus in a patient sample therefore you have to culture it and grow it to get a sufficient amount of virus but this is the same virus that's destroying <laughs> the host right right it's going you can't crazy have- in the system mm-hmm. yeah i thought that virus was supposed to be running you know rampaging the host and replicating like crazy and they're supposed to have a high you know viral load and yada 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 and so how is there not enough to be able to isolate in that situation where you have a very sick patient i mean it doesn't it can't be both not enough and also be capable of inflicting great damage at the
0: same time. Right. 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 The, the other thing you hear and like Judy Mikovits will say, well, the, the virus is in the membrane of the cell. <laughs> right. So what do you say to something like that? Cause you know, in a discussion about exosomes, for example, things kind of protruding out of a cell and, you know, how do you differentiate between an exosome and a virus? And, you know, she's talking about how the membrane, especially with retroviruses, is implicated in the very identity of the virus. So therefore yeah. you can't isolate it because it's not isolatable. Yeah, I don't get that because it's
1: still, according to that, according to the to retroviral theory or the way that retroviruses are supposed to work, the virus would still supposedly bud from the cell and you would get a free particle in whatever kind of liquid you were collecting that you should, in theory, be able to isolate. It's not gonna just remain part of the membrane. Now, I don't know if what she was referring to. So some people, there's supposedly some viruses that are just naked nucleic acid of some sort, DNA or RNA, and then there are some that are have a, have a nucleocapsid, some proteins that supposedly would um, protect the nucleic acid and then a a coat around it. And, but it's really just, you know, kind of a pinching off of the membrane, you know, at, at best. But the problem is these um, small particles that, you know, some people say exosomes or different things, um, there's a lot of different things that you can do to cells that can cause formation of various kinds of particles. And one of the things is when you poison cells, I mean, and really all you have to do is just reduce the nutrient content in the, the culture media and you will start to induce certain kinds of cell death. And the end result of that is the cells literally start to fragment and create these were called apoptotic bodies and that could be very easily mistakable for any of this stuff especially under a, an electron microscope or or other things where it's very easy to pick up artifacts and and things like that, that you never be able like to fragments it. of rna fragments of rna i don't even know if it's possible to easily visualize that. I know when you see, you know, when you see like the pictures of the viruses, those are usually from some sort of
0: electron microscopy of of some
1: sort.
0: I know they're using the cytopathic effect, the cell death when they either introduce antibiotics or and or starve the cells, right? In these experiments, that's proof that there's a virus there as opposed to finding a particle and showing it to you, right? And then, right. you know, even pictures in with a, with an electron microscope are very problematic because they're using these heavy metal dyes, and it's possible that everything we're seeing is just artifacts. And certainly, at the very least, it's not it's not uh, representative of what's actually happening in a living biological organism. No, not at all. I mean, so so first of all, the CPE—that's kind
1: of what I was what was alluding to. I I can and I have. Um, I've, I've obviously seen it when I was, so one of, one of my first stops in my career was doing HIV research, quote unquote. And, um, you know, I mean, I used to, you could see this CPE, but throughout my career, I mean, I've intentionally and unintentionally created basically the same effect by manipulating the environmental conditions that the cells are cultured in. And you, you know, if once they're tipped, beyond a certain point, they start to die. That's all it is. And it looks exactly the same. I guarantee if I, you know, I could manipulate cells in different ways and get them to look very much like what's called CPE and nobody would be able to tell the difference. You certainly can't claim that there's a particle in there that's causing that. I mean, unless you really, really well controlled it. And I think if you did that, then that would probably kind of refute itself. Um, The... Yeah, I mean, so, so. What's,
0: what's going on there, Mike? I mean, why, how can you take people who are well-educated, who, uh, you know, consider, you know, call themselves scientists, who in theory have a basis in logic and the scientific method, and they're not isolating a particle. They're, they're inducing an effect that could be achieved by various means and ultimately doesn't prove anything, mm-hmm their methodology is very problematic in terms of creating artifacts and not representing anything going on by you know in real time in a living organism. And for these people, it seems that the very notion that maybe there isn't a virus or that viruses aren't what they think they are, or they at least haven't proven the existence of these contagious viruses, it's like you're you know, you're insulting them or insulting their mother or something like that. It's very, very, they're so incredibly reactionary. I mean, I get attacked all the time because I'm really out there saying, well, they really have never even proven that there's a virus, not not with SARS-CoV-2 and to the best of my knowledge ever. So, you know, how, where, how did this happen? I know that a lot of people talk about Rockefeller Medicine, the funding behind of uh, this entire medical program of, uh, uh, you know, allopathic medicine that it got us here and all of the research that that spawned and all of the control over that pushing us in a certain direction. And it took about a hundred and whatever years. And then lo and behold, in late 2019, this virus appears, quote unquote, and it's, it, it's, it's rolled out in such a systematic and coordinated way that a lot of people are out there thinking that this is the culmination of the Rockefeller project to enslave and, sh- and destroy uh, humanity in many ways. Am am, am I just a crazy ass conspiracy theorist to even mm-hmm. think about this and talk about it? No, not not at all. Um, I mean,
1: you know, as you said, it's it's pretty clearly documented all, all those things you said there it's not like you're just pulling out, that out of nowhere I mean the the Rockefellers clearly impacted shifted the whole medical and scientific paradigm I mean they basically you know uh, hijacked through the formation of the American medical system and um, and creation of various foundations and things the the whole education system so now basically every, University. I mean, that's where it really starts from, right? The indoctrination from these these schools. Um, you know, you're once you change those curriculums and you started weeding out anything that went against uh, the the particular narrative that they had, then you just start overwhelming people with information, and now you have a system that it's. I mean grad school is just a bombardment of tremendous amounts of information with no ability whatsoever to question anything. And then at the same time, you know, there's a tremendous amount of, of egos in, in science and medicine. And so, you know, you combine those two things where you can't question anything and everybody's just trying to make a name for themselves. Uh, You know, it doesn't lend itself to a lot of truth and honesty and, and rigor. Um, And so I, you know, I don't even think that they have to really, you know, kind of is self perpetuated itself over time, once you kind of put that in motion after a couple generations, you have a self sustaining system of scientists and people that just, they go along with it, because that just is the way that the system is designed. There, You're literally seeing a fulfillment of the system and how it's imparting itself on the people there. I mean, I don't think all scientists are necessarily in on it. Now, if you as you start to work your way up to the tops of some of these companies and things, then you know that's a different story. But certainly, down at the at the ground level, at the bench, I mean, but they just wholeheartedly believe. I mean, it, it's not much more than just belief in this stuff, based on what they've been what's been pushed on them. Um, and in a lot of cases, there's very poor training that. Like, that goes on um, at a lot of these, you know, once you're, when you're, whether you're in um, grad school and you're doing your, your doctoral thesis or you're doing postdoctoral work, in a lot of cases, a lot of these students are just left to their own devices to figure this stuff out. So you've got, you know, you're not, you're crammed full with a ton of information. You can't ask any questions. You're trying to make a name for yourself. You're you're kind of tossed by yourself to sort it all out. I mean, it's it's amazing that that most scientists can do anything resembling science these days, which, you know, it, that's debatable. But um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we find ourselves in a situation where nobody, it, you know, it really is amazing that even scientists that you would think should be able to see through to some of this stuff just can't they get so angry almost, as you said, when people try to refute it, even very rationally. Um, But I think it just stems from the way that the system is and how it has been kind of set up and and foisted on us by those in power, right? It it always comes from the money, the funding. Um, That seems to drive everything. If you don't want to do the kind of research, if I go and try to write a grant And get funding from my lab and I write a grant saying that I want to do some set of experiments that's going to refute viral theory, they're never going to fund it, right? So you can't do anything that doesn't go along with what what those with the money and the power want you to do. And it's the same kind of thing in in the um, pharma and biotech industry. I mean, whether you have shareholders or investors or, you know, you're always kind of beholden to those people. And many scientists literally just look to whoever has the money to kind of guide them in where their research should go. It's far from
0: independent. You make so many good points. I mean, I, I I really agree that we're not talking about a mass conspiracy at the at the foot soldier level here. No way, not at all. Most of these people are indoctrinated, and they're really. They're really in the cult of scientism. I mean, just to be, just to, I don't know, you know, how to put it any differently. There's a wonderful uh, quote by Bruce Cathy. Today, science is up on a pedestal. A new God has appeared. His high priests conduct the rituals with nuclear reactors, moon probing rocket ships, cathode tubes, and laser beams, and their territory is sacrosanct. Laymen are denied entry. So, you know, we're in a really strange situation where we can't even have dialogue as thinking People, you know, we we're really we're so far into a cult mentality, and, and one of the one of the um, one of the hallmarks of a cult is that expulsion from the cult, which you've experienced personally, is one of the most feared thing. It's equated with death. If you are ex- expulsed, if you're expelled from the cult, basically your life is over, and certainly your career as you knew it. In your case, you know is over and now it's something else is happening and good for you but you know we are really in a, in a, f- a system of uh, control through fear and fear mongering we're in a kind of weird simulation of reality where they're doing all of this very strange genetic sequencing That's all just sequences and computers not based on any kind of physical particle and i can't help think what david ike said early on in the pandemic. he said there is no virus. There is no SARS-CoV-2. They would never do something that they can't control. And they can control an imaginary virus, but they could never control a real virus if such a thing even exists. So to me, it makes mm-hmm. perfect sense that they're out there using all of their tools of persuasion, their propaganda. They own the media. They can basically you know, brainwash and gaslight people into believing, thinking, believing, and behaving the way they want them to. And that includes, of course, their foot soldiers in science. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember, I remember that,
1: that quote um, from David Icke. And I think that was perfectly put. Um, it's, it's absolutely, you know, cause when you, when you think about how they've used the the media and even kind of Hollywood to Um, from like predictively program us, you think about, you know, I think when everybody thinks pandemic, right, or something like that, you automatically are triggered to think about some movie outbreak or something you've seen. Sure, Sure, And, but if that were to really happen, like you said, how could you, how could you control that? You could, you would imagine that would pretty quickly spiral out of control, but you know that they, they've mastered controlling our minds. So that's much easier
0: if it doesn't even exist. Absolutely, and you know it's it's really interesting. I wrote a a book uh, last. Well, I wrote it starting at the uh, starting in twenty twenty. I I got this download to to begin writing it, and it was really a, a book about the scandemic, the pandemic, in many ways. Now, I didn't go into the germ theory versus terrain theory stuff. I I was writing a a, a science fiction book, and I couldn't take on take that on. Like that's a whole new book, you know, just some <laughs> kind of fictional look at virology or something you know and and the problems therein but basically uh where i was going with this is that it's a look at the what a lot of people including david ike would call the archons that were are according to the, the gnostic teachings as interpreted by john lash they are these extraterrestrial beings and I know that gets really strange and far out there for a lot of people but according to these these writings that are that go back to you know uh, well very back to the uh, you know the the era of, of Jesus and and you know we're talking thousands of years old they believe that they were masters of simulation that these these beings really mm-hmm. controlled our planet. And, the, it, you know, the Lord Archon would be sort of like Satan, right? In mm-hmm. Anyway, you could also look at him as kind of as like the God of the Old Testament in a very perverted way, the one who kind of bombed cities and that kind of thing. So depending on where how you look at it, it's all very slippery. But the, the point I'm trying to make, and that John Lash makes beautifully in his book, not, not in his image, is that we're dealing with a kind of mentality here at the very least, whether it's a extraterrestrial or terrestrial that is very gifted at controlling our minds through reality simulation. And I think this, this virus is kind of the apotheosis, this quote unquote virus is the apotheosis of that ability. It's on, it's there, it's there, it's there really coming out of the closet onto the main stage of the world as who they are is as, as as basically fascists tyrants dictators etc 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 so you know the the virus got them here and now we're in the battle to see you know who's going to who's going to prevail really is truth going to prevail or are we going to be living in under the ministry of truth
1: i i certainly hope truth prevails and that's you know obviously what what you're obviously the great work you've been doing is attempting to do that and i'm certainly trying to do it and all these other people that are out here speaking i mean you know we're doing everything we can to try to hope that truth prevails and if we have a say to it right it will but it's it's clearly a very some powerful forces there where, wherever they are uh, originating from that are that are driving a lot of this and there's a lot of people that are unfortunately um, just playing right into it. And so, um, I I don't know, you know, but I think we have to remain optimistic and we have to, we have to keep fighting.
0: So on the subject of playing right into it, I've got two words for you and I would just love to have your feedback. Biolabs, bioweapons. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Those are kind of the, those are pretty hot button words or subjects these days. Right. Um, that it's, that's always, it's always kind of befuddled me. I, you know, cause it clearly, if we don't, if they don't have a virus, then, you know, are they truly doing bio weapon research, bio lab research, you know I mean? In, in that, in the manner in which they want us to believe it is, well, I don't, see how but does that not mean that they're number one attempting to try to make what they've told us become reality so in other words try to find a way to make this whole viral story into reality somehow in a lab situation or something else like a poison or something else that could be you know um imparted onto people to make them sick in some way. I
0: mean, I'll tell you right now, Mike, whenever I put out this kind of information online, like on MeWe or, you know, any of the other uh, platforms that I'm on, the most common comment I get is the vaccine is the bioweapon. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Over and over people have reached that conclusion. And I think most of them mean not that it transmits a virus and gives you AIDS, you know what I mean? But that it is full of poisons that break your system down. And maybe you get what might be called AIDS, but it's not a viral transmission or a viral situation. Yeah.
1: Oh, Oh. I, I mean, it's definitely a weapon. I mean, especially when you look at what it's doing to people that I don't think you can. Um, and, you know, it's certainly not working like you might think of a, a virus or a bioweapon. You know, it's not I don't believe that it's necessarily spreading, although people talk about shedding and things like that. But
0: um, I'm not entirely convinced of that either. I'm really not either. I, I mean, I've looked into it as much as I know how to under the circumstances. And I just haven't seen anything that proves to me that that's actually going on. Right. But there's no doubt
1: that this technology, the different elements that are going into this vaccine can clearly cause a lot of destruction. Um, and especially when you're being when it's being introduced to someone repetitively, you can evoke a lot of different responses. And we're seeing that manifest in real time, although it's obviously not been put up front and center yet. But it's pretty clear to anyone that, that wants to look that it's creating a lot of devastation. Um, I think a lot of people probably know people that have been uh, affected by it. I mean, I, I mean, I I have uh, not I me, mean, but I know people. Uh, in other words, that that have unfortunately made a decision to get it and you know have had uh, various issues, um, some quite significant. so it's it's clear that it's causing a lot of problems. And you know, I don't think it's it's surprising when you look at these these new technologies and what they might be doing. but at the same time, there's also a lot of questions around what is truly, Possible. We have a lot of people talking about, you know, are these uh, mRNAs being reversed, transcribed into being converted back into DNA and then integrated into the genome? You know, it's all kind of theoretical, yeah, unless you can prove that it's happening in a human being or that it's, you know, then again, it's just something else that's, you're showing in a dish of cells in the lab and... You know, unless if you've only done it once or you know you know, again, it maybe it's, mo, you know, who knows how, how real it of an. Effect
0: well, if, if it's, it's real, Mike, I mean, it's if it's real, it's one of the biggest scientific breakthroughs we've ever seen.
1: Absolutely. In biology.
0: And you would think in that case, with all the egos and money involved, that they would be just churning out studies showing that this is real. Right. Samples.
1: Well, that's why I can't understand. So the purported spike protein that you know, I mean, we won't even go into the whole thing of is—is is there even actually a real? If there's not a virus, you know, where's what is this spike protein? But, um, you know, the whole idea is that this vaccine is supposed to get your cells to make this spike protein. Yet, the the only readout is of if the vaccine's effective is to look for some kind of antibodies. Nobody's showing is anybody actually
0: making this purported spike protein?
1: I you know, know so, it would be so you know, easy. Are not
0: specific. Antibodies are right. simply not specific. That is one of the lies of, of current scientism. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so that's no evidence at all. So we're left, we're not, we don't even have evidence of the spike protein. And we know that whatever's on that electron micrograph is just a broken down cell that's been starved to death and those little dots are, are probably just it's deterioration if any if nothing else you know right right well there's so much of this lab research
1: experimentation that is very artifactual artificial systems and then as you process the samples when you're doing something like electron microscopy or any number of things if you're trying to stain something with antibodies and then do flow cytometry or some other way of, of looking at it, you're impacting that sample in many times considerable ways that are going to absolutely change that sample from what it was, even when it was in that dish, even in that really artificial situation, you're blasting it up. You're subjecting it to insane speeds when you're centrifuging it, you're treating it with different things for electron microscopy, or you're fixing the cells, which is a whole crazy thing. All those things are going to change that sample in some way, but nobody ever takes that into account. So then, and, but then, you know, you're expected to just believe that some change that you see is, you know, a virus or something.
0: Right. You're expected to, to be a, just a very, uh, a compliant member of the cult, right? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I'll give
1: you a perfect example. So when I pushed back, I talked to people that I, now my former coworkers, but even other contacts that I had, I had a tremendous number of contacts in the industry. And so I initially, after I was like, I reached out to some people, talked to some recruiters and stuff the feedback that I got, I literally had people that said to me that I should know better and I should have just taken the darn thing. And my response was,
0: I, I do know better. And that's why I didn't do it. (laughs) Mm. That's wild. It's really, really wild. It's like, you think too much. Yeah. You know, sometimes parents or teachers will tell that to kids, you know, you think too much. And I can't think of a more stultifying piece of child abuse and that type of statement and that's essentially what they were doing to you yeah it was amazing oh that's really really crazy well listen mike i i want to end this discussion on on a solutions-based little rant here you know (laughs) let's let's go off and you know off that this highway onto another another road (laughs) uh you know as far back as like um 1998 uh you had uh Brian Martin writing in the Journal of Scientific Exploration, an article titled Strategies for Dissenting Scientists. So this is not a new thing. So I'd love to talk about strategies and maybe what you have in mind or ideas you've entertained. I have a couple of interesting thoughts perhaps. Uh, for you know create you've already created you know a series of forums and you're bringing people together and I think that's the logical first step but where does it go from here and how do we how do we how do we uh bring together cultivate groom uh, a community of people with the ability to think truly scientifically
1: Mm. yeah so like you said, we, I, I already have this, this community, this scientists, scientific community that we've, we talked about a little bit, the scientists for health freedom. And the whole thing there is, you know, is it's just this community for scientists that I've, that it's, you know, it's kind of organically growing itself as more people find out and join in and more people are willing to step forward. And, I've wanted to, you know, the the main kind of core things about that is to create this community where people can like-minded scientists, doctors, researchers, anybody of whatever different viewpoints can come together and ask questions and speak out and debate things, you know, have the freedom to discuss these things and know you're not going to be chastised in any way, but also to, to really be able to support people that are willing to step out and speak out and, you know, we, I know how it can be uncomfortable or challenging for people. So to provide whatever kind of support we can. And so part of that is um, I'm trying to not just expand onto social other social media platforms, but um, I've set up um, pages on various video platforms and things. And I'd love to start doing, uh, having discussions with scientists and other people and to just give them the, you know as much of a bullhorn as they can, as much highlight that if you want to speak out, we're going to highlight you as much as we can. We're going to make sure your voice is heard and we're going to do whatever we can to give everybody who wants to the chance to speak. Um, I think it's it's important to not just to encourage people to speak out, but then to support them Uh, as best we can once they've once they've come forward because it's it's not always an easy thing to do
0: so obviously when a scientist comes forward like that especially if the individual has not retired you know you're looking at a potentially career-ending situation there so there's a lot going on so how do we move beyond offering support in that whistleblower way to actually offering financial support or financial alternatives? How do we monetize this new model? And I hate to be so pragmatic about it, but if we're going to be in this world right now, it's really, really important. I see people like Dr. Andrew Kaufman, who's essentially in the process of creating with his medicamentum uh, approach, a kind of almost like alternative health university, Mm -hmm. And for me, that's probably one of the possible futures here that that will begin to monetize things for people and allow them to share their knowledge and their expertise and to train people in this new way of thinking and even in technologies and techniques uh, for research. I mean, I I could see I just had this flash of you and Stefan Lanka and Kaufman and other people kind of on the, uh, you know, like professors or uh, at at such an online university, you know, and actually maybe move into some kind of like certificate or degree granting type of program that could be competitive, because I really think we're moving into kind of an era of parallel societies. There's a lot of of political science uh, scientists out there writing about this and uh, kind of the emergence of uh, kind of civilization states like, like Russia right now. And it really, there's a bifurcation, a huge bifurcation happening. And we can either be crushed by that or, or kind of down about it, or we can embrace it as an opportunity. And I just think, you know, with where you're coming from and everything uh, in your, your knowledge base and your ability to communicate, you would be so perfect for doing that kind of thing with the right, you know, people around you.
1: Yeah, I I think that would be wonderful. And, and I think it would be a really great, you know, part of, of, you know, everything that's, that's going on here. I think education is going to be really key to ensure that going forward, you know, that the next generation of, you know, whatever (laughs) scientists or doctors or whatever, uh, you know, are, are well equipped with, um, you know the ability to to ask questions and critically think about this stuff and are and are not just getting fed the kind of mainstream story um and so i think I think that would be that would be wonderful i mean, and really it it's gonna be about also i think making science making this stuff more approachable to to anybody because there's no reason why we all can't take take this knowledge back um so i really want to empower people anybody uh to to do their own research and and i know that there's a considerable barrier and kind of when we talk about um you know whether some certain things are intentional or not or whatever i mean that's one thing that kind of with the terminology and um certain things like that you can see where there's a considerable barrier. And a lot of people run into that and then pivot to their, you know, to the, to the first expert they can find. Right. And then they're kind of handing over that power. Um, yeah, well and <laughs> I just said, it's well, said. yes, I agree. Totally. And so if we can take that back, um, one of the ideas I have is to create some kind of a resource, um, that can help people build a foundation of different kinds of scientific terminology and not just the words and what they are, but kind of what's the derivation of the word. Where did it, where did it originate? There's some really interesting terms that, you know, if you look back at where they originated from, it can be really enlightening and how they changed, how the meaning changed over time. I mean, virus is one of those, right? Absolutely. Wow. Um, and then building on that to, to provide tools to how do you navigate uh, a scientific paper, scientific data, a, a patent, all of these things that are being discussed now that, you know, if you don't have some kind of a foundation, you can easily read things into them that, that maybe aren't there. And so you, you have to exercise a, a lot of discernment. But I think if we can make this stuff more in, uh, approachable, but, and approachable, but do it in a way that's interesting and exciting as well.
0: Um, you know, I think perhaps that could be helpful too. Well, I love that idea, I, you know, in, as a writer and as a, a, you know, former literature student and English teacher, you know, I, I think I think what you're describing is really a book of some kind, even a small book, a, even a pamphlet, or it could be an online resource, like you're saying, or it could be both, but it would be beautiful as a small book that people could just use, and you could use it in in university quote-unquote settings you could use it in homeschooling you know and just for lay people all over the place so if you ever decide to take that on in one form or another let me know and I'd be happy to to work with you uh, from an editorial standpoint if that's at all appealing. Yeah that would that would be fantastic I've actually been working to put together some
1: um put some ideas together kind of around the, the the concept and Formulate, you know, how how it might work and what some of the parts might be. So, I mean, I can I'd be happy to share with you some some of that information um, and kind well, of go for. I'll, I'll send
0: you my private email over on Telegram, and then you can you know send me anything that you uh, you know you want to, and we can continue that dialogue certainly. And you know who knows, but uh, I just wanted you know part of what we have to do, and, and not not you and I, but just as a <laughs> as a movement. Is we have to find new ways to connect and help each other, and mm-hmm. and it's happening. I do see it happening. Like Alpha Vedic was part of putting on something called um, uh, what was it? The event uh, in, in December. I was a speaker at that, and they had all these wonderful speakers and Cowan and Kaufman and Kelly Brogan and all these other people were, were uh, providing uh, you know their expertise in those areas. But the the um, the real springboard for that was just creating this way of bringing people together and letting people help each other. And I saw lots of people kind of combining their resources and their knowledge and doing joint uh, joint presentations and all of that. So it was really, really cool to see people actually teaming up because we've been atomized. we've been we've been broken apart. I mean, we've been socially distanced, you know, for many, many, <laughs> many years, right? And now we have to come back together if we're going to create a cohesive, a uh, healthy society. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: They, and they actually had some great ideas. Um, when, when I was having that discussion on AlphaCast, um, with Mike, Mike Winner and, uh, Dr. Lando, um, because they're a lot of what they're thinking about is, is building decentralized systems. And, you know, Mike was talking about possibly ways to, to fund things and do things, you know, in a decentralized manner and,
0: um he's very you know what, brilliant in that regard. I mean, he's 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 a yeah. real visionary and and so mm-hmm. his ideas usually have a lot of merit. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, so I was, I was incredibly intrigued by by some of the ideas he had um and some of the stuff he's building actually. Um and and like you said the the event was was great. I watched that. Um so yeah, I mean, I think there's just there's a lot of opportunities to connect with people I've certainly connected with a lot of people. I can't even explain it how you know all the great people I've connected with in, in the last couple of months. Um, it I I think it's kind of funny we're at a situation where we've been isolated. We need to connect with people, but then at the same time we also need to kind of decentralize from the system and create these kind of parallel systems. So it's like we're we need to separate from one thing but we we need to get back together again with with
0: like-minded people to start building something new. And you make a really good point. There are two two dynamics, you know, at work mm-hmm. here because if you just separate and you have nowhere to go, then what's the point? Right. Well, this has been a lot of fun, Mike. Um, maybe we can do it again one of these days. I, I know that, you know, we keep getting lots of research and seeing things coming up, you know, out of coming out of the closet and out of the woodwork. So who knows what we'll be in six months in terms of uh, emerging data. I know you, you have, you know, there's there's like Lanka's experiments that are going on out there and, you know, we, we might have some other things to talk about down the road. And I really want to stay abreast of your, of your, your projects. And at least, at least as a fly on the wall to see how that's going. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure there's going to be a
1: lot of, interesting, uh, new research to, to scrutinize and, and great stuff. I mean, I'm excited to see what, uh, what Lanka's got next. And, um, I, I think this is just going to keep, keep growing. I think there's going to be a lot more stuff, but then who knows what else will be, will be thrown at us that we'll have to kind of dig into as well. I mean, I think there's always going to be more to, to dig into. And, and I, I greatly appreciate, uh, the opportunity uh and I, it, it was a great discussion
0: yeah i think so too i want to remind everybody listening that you're at uh, on telegram at t.me slash for health freedom and also on like the mewe platform mewe.com and and uh, any others that you want to really call attention to uh, in terms of uh, the scientists for health freedom yeah so yeah that's the main t- telegram and
1: mewe and um I think I and Gab, I guess, too. I created one there. Great. And then I created video um, channels, I guess they're called channels on Rumble and BitChute and Odyssey. If, with the same name, scientist
0: for Health I, Freedom? Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. So Rumble, BitChute and Odyssey. And, yeah. I'm on those Right, ones. right. All right. I will definitely follow you on those. And I'm at Saul Luckman or Crow Rising on those as well. Well, listen, Mike, I'm going to let you go and I hope you have a a really wonderful evening and I look forward to our next chat.
1: Yeah, thank you. I do too. All righty. Take care. All right. You too.